0: One of the most common questions um, for children, teenagers, anyone, you know, people in their 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, is, what do you want to be when you grow up? <laughs> what do you want to be when you grow up? This seems like you know, it's one of those seems seemingly innocuous questions that have such a depth of like, oh my gosh, what do I want to be? You know, Every time it's asked, it's this like, put on the spot. And you don't like, how deep should I answer this? Um, what kind of person do I want to be? What profession do I want? How am I going to confront this? It's kind of like the the also common question, the most common question in English-speaking world is, how are you? <laughs> Which is at once the, the most shallow and deepest possible question you can ask someone. You, can, you know, it's like, how am I right now? How am I in the universe? Like, how am I doing with my life, my family, my friends? Is my child coming up to me in the middle of a sermon? Um, <laughs> <laughs> how am I? Or I can just be like, oh, I'm fine. <laughs> it's fine. You give, you give an answer. Um, we got to go back over there, okay? you can't stay over here. This is Ephraim. Hi. 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 Yeah, you're shy, and you want all the attention, don't you? That's right. That's right. You want all the attention. I have a niece who's in the middle of college application season, and for a long time, everyone asked her, she's 18, like, where do you want to go to college? Which is also It's one of those questions that, like, there's so much depth of meaning, because it's so much identity is put on where you go to college. It's Really, like, what kind of person do you think you are, is the question which is really hard to answer. And when I was in youth ministry, I would recommend to people, you know, you don't need to know where you want to go. Just give an answer, and it'll satisfy them. Like, it doesn't really matter. Like, at that point of the question, you just give an answer. Oh, I don't know. Like, UT, fine. Oh, great, wonderful. And then they go on and on about whatever their connection is yeah. to that school and just move you by. And so that's, that's fine. But it can be a challenging question. What do you want to be when you grow up? Because the challenge when you start growing up is like, am I the person I wanted to be when I was a kid? And that may be good or maybe bad. Usually, if you're a child, you don't really have a large conception of what it means to have the responsibilities of being an adult, but it can still be confronted. I did not expect this kind of life. How did I get to where I am? And what if I don't feel like I'm going where I want to go? What if it feels like I'm not bearing the kind of fruit I expected to bear? What if it feels like I'm going in circles or not even moving at all? My friends, we are continuing our series on the deep end, those times in life when we feel overwhelmed. Today we're going to look at those times when we feel like we aren't going anywhere. One of the most difficult philosophers to pronounce is this Danish philosopher named Søren Kierkegaard. And it's spelled S-O with a slash, R-E-N. Whenever you see like a, like a non-English character, you're like, whoa, this is, you step back from it. And then it's spelled, the last name is K-I-E-R-K, I think, Kier, A-G-A-A-R-D. But it's in Danish, it's Kierkegaard, which is just really funky. Um, he was a Lutheran pastor slash um, um, angsty teenager for the rest of his life. Like, he's, he's the patron philosopher of angsty teens. Um, he lived in Denmark, where it apparently rains all the time, so you just get mopey and talk about the existence of the universe and all things like that. But he, he had a, one, a lot of wonderful writings. One of them was called Fear and Trembling. It's this amazing text on the sacrifice of Isaac. And so it's looking at the sacrifice of Abraham taking Isaac to the mountain, and what that means in the step of faith. And leap of faith comes from Kierkegaard, and that the concept of, of taking a leap of faith and doing something when you don't know what the outcome is going to be. But he also has this, um, he has this book called Repetition, which I think is really powerful and really concrete and important. And so much, you know, so often philosophy seems like the thing that has, is completely irrelevant to my life. Like philosophers are people who talk about things that have nothing to do with my existence, but, but I think there's something so powerful about Peerthor, which is why I'm name-dropping him a lot this morning so far. Um, he has this book called Repetition, and Repetition in, in contrast to recollection or redundancy. Um, <laughs> recollection is living in the past. <laughs> redundancy is being bored with the present, which is also living in the past. Redundancy is having a present where you think this is not what I signed up for, and I'm having to do the same thing over and over again. Repetition is, is an earnestness of the present, is how he defines it, is being present where you are. This is not, you know, it's, in, it's very similar to some kind of Zen stuff, but it's in a very unique aspect um, in the Christian tradition of being thankful for the createdness of each moment, and not taking the past and the future as these contradictions that you have to fight in between, and thinking like, oh, my past is this, but my future may be this, but living into the moment. Kierkegaard says, he alone is truly happy who is not deluded into thinking that the repetition should be something new. For then, one grows weary of it. And it's this idea, you know, and we're confronted with daily in all kinds of media, and all presentations, that we need this new thing. We need something new in our life. And stuff is built to break down really quickly so that we can buy something new. Um, Planned obsolescence. This idea that we should just, instead of getting something repaired, instead of having habits, instead of having um, cars that run, we should have cars that don't run so that we can go and get them fixed. We should have computers that don't run. We should have phones that need to be replaced every year. We need that new thing. We need that buzz of the new or else we're not really living. And instead... We need an earnestness of existence, a gratefulness of existence, a finding in every moment there is a breath a god breathed gift. Jesus in the gospel reading for today has some challenging words. That's what the gospel readings for lent are really about. All of them are really tricky. There's none of these like really straightforward passages of like, do this and it'll all be great. No, no, no. Um, they save that for other times of the year. We have this really challenging and cryptic message. It says from go- the Gospel of Luke, at that time, there were some present who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. Already, it's like, what is going on? <laughs> um, who are the Galileans? Who's Pilate? Whose blood? What does mingling with sacrifices mean? There's a lot of like context issues in this one. Galileans are people who live in the north of Israel. Pilate is Pontius Pilate. But mingling blood in the sacrifice is basically defaming their bodies and desecrating their bodies. And so people are asking Jesus, what about those people whose bodies have been desecrated? How is it with them? Isn't it really bad for them? It's kind of like that thing. What about those people over there? Isn't their life horrible? It's like, because my life is awesome because I'm not living over there. But Jesus kind of gets to the point. And he says, do you think that because these Galileans suffered in this way, they were worse sinners than all other Galileans? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will perish as they did. So the point that Jesus is making is, is, is not to think about these people over here. That the act of faith and the life of faith is not comparing ourselves for the lives of others. Not comparing ourselves to the suffering of others. Not comparing ourselves to the gifts of others. But where do you stand now? Where are you standing now? And he, he goes on. Of those 18 that were killed when the Tower of Siloam fell. The Tower of Siloam was in Jerusalem. It was a portion of a section of Jerusalem. And so the tower fell and killed people. And he's saying, do you think that they were worse offenders than all others living in Jerusalem? Do you think that they're, they're somehow worse sinners because they were killed by this natural disaster than other people? And he says, no, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will perish just as they did. We're missing, we're missing the point when we're looking at these other people and not looking at where we are standing. And so he tells this parable of the fig tree. Here's a fig tree. You can see the little fig. <laughs> and so this farmer had a fig tree. This landowner had a fig tree. And it didn't bear fruit like that. Look at that cute little fig. It's going to be so plump and juicy. Well, not anymore. But it would have been really plump and juicy if I'd let it grow. But it didn't bear fruit. And so this tree would grow up, and it didn't bear fruit, which means it probably had too much nitrogen and not enough phosphorus in the soil. I think that's right. Um, gardeners know what I'm talking about. Uh, but... But he was really frustrated. What am I going to do with this tree that doesn't bear fruit? The point of a tree is to bear fruit. And so the gardener is like, you know, we need to just cut it down. It's useless. But then the landowner says, no, let let us try one more year. We're going to fertilize it with manure. The good stuff. Nice and rich. And then we'll see if it's good. And if it's good... We'll keep it, but if it is not, we will cut it down. The tree needs to be fertilized. The tree needs to be fertilized. It can't the soil is drained on its own. Our lives need to be fertilized if we're gonna bear fruit. If we just assume that going through the motions, that going through the things we've always done is going to get the same results. We are fools. We need more phosphorus in our soil to bear fruit. We need to find a way to grow. In Psalm 1, they have this this wonderful way. Happy are those who do not follow the advice of the wicked, but their delight is in the law of the Lord and the Torah of God, in the way of God. And on his law, they meditate day and night. They are like trees planted by streams of water. So we have the tree that's planted by the stream of water. The streams of water is always fresh. It never stagnates. It never rots. We were over at Guadalupe River this past week. State Park. It's an awesome state park. And and they have these amazing cypress trees on the river that are gorgeous, that are like we could, like half of us, could have a group hug and it would not go around these cypress streets. Um, these beautiful things on the river with these amazingly intricate root systems that, that live and function because they're on these flowing waters that don't rot. We need, we need the flowing waters that don't rot. We need the flowing waters that consistently feed us to keep us aware of where we are. To keep us aware of the giftedness of the present. The giftedness of each moment. We need to be fertilized. The early church fathers would read this passage. They're like trees planted by streams of water and connected to baptism. In the same way Jesus connects it to repentance. We need to be baptized in the streams of waters to grow. We need to repent. To wash away those things that keep us from love. And one of the ways we do this, one of the concrete ways we keep ourselves planted by streams of water, one of the ways that we fertilize our faith is through prayer. And prayer can often seem like an absurd thing in this modern world. Prayer is one of those things that doesn't make much sense in a modern world conception of it. We have, you know, there's about 1500 apps you can get for meditation which, meditation is good um, but it's a way, you're kind of curious of how, why are they selling this thing to us? Like, meditation is a way to be more productive at work. Like, that is not what meditation is about. Um, meditation is not about productivity. Prayer is not about productivity. Prayer is about inefficiency. When you're praying, you are not being productive for your job. At all. Like, you can't. You can't pray and be productive. When you're praying, you're not getting dinner ready. Even though you might think, oh, I just got to get dinner ready. I got to get it all set. When you're praying, you're not having that quality time with, with the people. You're not, it's not checking off one of your to-do lists. It seems like it's a waste of time. It seems like it's a waste of time. Much of the way that so often that we think, oh, you know, that tree doesn't need fertilizer this year. It doesn't need it. It'll be fine. We got plenty of rain last year. We don't need to make sure it's watered. We don't need to fit that into the schedule. The Psalms, again, Psalm 119, the longest chapter in the Bible. There are 176 verses in Psalm 119. That is quite a thing. But it's, it's a, powerful, a powerful word. In Psalm uh, 119, verse 164, it says, Seven times a day I praise thee for your righteous ordinances. Seven times. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. That's a lot of times. This is where in the, in the ancient history of the church, the early monasteries, they practiced the liturgy of the hours. They would pray seven times. They would pray at, at six, at nine, at noon, at three, at six, at, like all through, during the day. All the monks would, and nuns would gather together and have this group prayer together. And it comes from this Verse. Seven times seems like a lot of times to pray. You may think, oh my gosh, what am I going to say? I run out of things to say to God. In a little bit, we're going to have our, our intercessory prayer time, and we're going to read the lists of, of the people on the hearts of our congregation. But this is not the only way to pray, there are many other ways to pray. We have um, issues of the, the upper room in the narthex that, if you've never experienced it, is a wonderful resource. Of devotional, wonderful opportunity of, of praying. The divine office is praised through the Psalms, it prays through different aspects of the Psalms at each of the seven hours. But there's also the opportunity of just praying the Jesus prayer Lord, Jesus Christ, have mercy on me, a sinner. And there's a power in that, in praying that multiple times a day, of taking that time, that inefficient time, out of your day. Because what it does is it orients you. It orients me. It orients each of us away from ourselves. Orienting, oriente- orienteering. If you've ever been on a Boy Scout or a Cub Scout, you might have, or a Girl Scout, you might have done orienteering, and you have a map and you have a compass, and you try and find out where you are and where you are going. And you need to check that compass pretty regularly, or else you're going to get lost. And if you don't check that compass, you think, okay, north is that way, and then you walk along, and you think, oh yeah, north is that way, and you keep on walking, and you keep on walking, and you lose track of where you are. You need to check your compass, you need to make sure you're going in the same direction. This is what prayer does. And it may seem that praying seven times a day, that seems like being stuck. Gosh, I don't want to be in a legalistic religion where I have to do this, 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 and this in order to, to have my faith. But that's not what the psalmist is talking about. That's not what I'm talking about. Prayer presupposes a creature with freedom. With the freedom to pray. This amazing thing, unheard of levels of freedom to those who do. You have the freedom to not be stuck in yourself. You have the freedom to not be stuck in your expectations of who you will turn out be. You have the freedoms to not be stagnant. You have the freedom to bear fruit. Prayer is not a work to earn salvation, but a way to root our freedom. So it doesn't get blown in the wind. You know how where we are standing, how we are looking at our life matters. Thinking about, think about the river again. Think about a river you've seen. It, probably not Town Lake, because that's a, not a river, but a lake, but a moving river, a flowing river. If you, come, if you try to swim up, upstream, you're not going to be going very fast. <laughs> if you try and swim upstream a river, you're going to get hit by the current and probably be going backwards, even though you're paddling as hard as you can, and you're just going backwards. But if you go with the current, you don't have to paddle at all, and you'll probably go faster than you ever did on your own. How we are standing towards the world, how we are standing towards God matters. How we are oriented towards the world. When we remember that we are loved, when we remember that we are forgiven, when we remember that we are not alone, that the challenges we face, the struggles we face, are not for us alone, that the joys we receive are not for us alone, we can be fertilized in faith. And we can bear fruit. First Thessalonians 517 says, pray without ceasing, pray continuously. And it is about that orientation. How are we oriented in our life? It's not saying that we should not do anything else but pray, but we should orient our life towards prayer and towards God. We should treat others in our lives as if we are praying. that's why we should, way, pray for our enemies. Pray for the people who cut you off in traffic. Not have moment. I know it's hard. I it's hard, (laughs) especially like when South by is going on and all these all these foreign Yankees are in town and have no idea how to drive, (laughs) and like the scooter is just going everywhere, (laughs) and you just (laughs) it's crazy, and but to have a posture of prayer, it's not it's not easy. You don't just begin one day. You don't just wake up one day and be like, okay, I'm going to pray for my enemies today. I'm going to do it and do it. It's like you don't just wake up one day and run a marathon. Um, you, can't, you can't do it. You can't just put your boots on and run 26 miles. You have to practice. You have to practice. It begins before the challenges are faced. To have a posture of prayer towards people who challenge you, towards, towards the challenges in this life. It's not to, for, it's not to just be abused by others. It's, just not to, it's not to ignore other people, but to hold them in the perspective of prayer. To see your neighbor as a beloved child of God, worthy of prayer, worthy of your inefficient time, worthy of a moment. We are radically free by the grace of God. You are not your past. You are not your expectations you had of yourselves. You are not the disappointments you've had in your life. That is not who you are. You are not your future. You are not your children or your grandchildren. That is not who you are. You are not compared to your siblings, or your cousins, or that kid in high school who's now a senator. That is not who you are. You are forgiven, <laughs> beloved children of God. And yet, we must be watered. God meets us where we are, but God doesn't leave us there. We've got to water ourselves. We've got we to fertilize this tree so it can bear some fruit. We must bear fruit to live. We cannot fixate on comparing ourselves to the lives of others. We must bear fruit to live, and that fruit is not just for ourselves. The fruit of a fig tree cannot be consumed by one person alone. I've, I've tried. I've, I've, one time I found a fig tree on a trail, and I sat there for three hours, and there was still fruit left. The tree is not for one person alone. It is for others. The fruit of faithfulness is for others, is sharing in the love of God, sharing that they are loved by God sharing that they are forgiven, that they are not their faults, that they are not their past. And one of the amazing things about a fig tree, too, that is often missed in this passage, is that um, fig trees cut back a lot, like especially in this climate. And so you, you don't often see a fig tree with really thick branches in Texas because it'll be like one hard freeze and it's gone. Um, and it'll, it'll cut back. But then, you know what's amazing? It grows back. Like even when you cut down the tree, it grows back. And these leaves sprout up. And every year, it's amazing. And you look at it and you're like, is it going to come back this year? Is it going to fruit this year? And it does. And God remembers. And God remembers. May you grow this length. May you pray to the triune God in the freedom of love. And the freedom of desperation. May it be seven times. May it be once. May you pray out of hope and pray out of fear. May you pray for the God who is love to hear us all. If you have grown away from God, if you feel dried up, if you feel like you're not bearing fruit, then let us cut down that tree and grow again. Let us grow and plant ourselves near the living waters. Let us plant ourselves on that side of the stream that never runs dry. The stream of the love of God for you, the stream of love of God for this world. That we live in this broken world crying out for a Savior. Let us plant ourselves by the streams of life. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.